Today's scripture reading comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believes God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. Hello and welcome to CGS, where we see Jesus when we're gathered in worship, and we also see Jesus when we're scattered, and we see Jesus in us then. Let's pray one more time. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light. In your truth, find wisdom, and in your will, discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. What we read is we're going to continue on with the series of Galatians, and today we're continuing on uh, the topic of what is true living. So it's true living continued. And the first five verses of this chapter seems like it's segueing now into a new topic. Like I mentioned last week, we can never step away from the form, but we always have to come back to it. We talked about how the gospel is the way to salvation, to finally hearing your sins are forgiven, being justified not by our own merit, but by what has already been done for us. But if we, if we read verses 1 through 5 carefully, we see that we are continuing now from the gospel that saves us to the gospel that grows us. From the gospel that saves us to the gospel that grows us. When you received the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith, you not only became justified, but we see now that we are also being sanctified. The pronouncement of marriage happened and now we have the recessional and walk out to live the new life that has been given to us. This walking out is sanctification. Paul starts out by calling the Galatians foolish, asking them who deceived them after hearing the true gospel. 
In the gospel of Jesus Christ, justification happens before sanctification. This is different from all other belief systems, religions, faiths, non-faiths, or whatever you want to call it. If you switch this order, you don't have the gospel anymore. What you have is death. Death. The gospel then is good news announced of historical events that happened before it is instructions on how to live. The proclamation of what has been done comes before the directions of what to do. The form comes before the material. The proclamation comes before directions. Proclamation, then directions. We have pseudo-philosophers online and social media and Facebook telling us how we can finally be woke. It says if we're always in a state of denial of something, when we listen to these pseudo-philosophers, when we see these things, that we're in some kind of denial here. We're not really living and to truly live, to truly be woke, you have to do these things. And then you see it and everybody's like, oh my. But what it really is, is it's a denial that death is looming around the corner. Death is always behind you with a sickle. So no matter how great your advice, how great it tweets, how awesome it sounds in our itching ears, you deal with death first. Otherwise, you are teaching people how to truly live, truly live a lie. I want to give a quick illustration before we start, and I asked one of my sisters to come up to help me this time. So, Hezu, can you come up? She has no idea what I'm about to do, but uh, she graciously agreed. It was her birthday the other day, so happy birthday. This is my gift to you. Uh, <clears throat> Anyway, so please come into the light. Let's say Hesu is a person, and you can face them. Uh, Hesu is this wonderful person, and she has been given this information. This information is, Hesu, you just got to be you. You know, the world is telling you all these things about beauty, about intelligence, about how to live, about what you should do, but forget all that. Drown out that noise, Hesu. This is your inner voice, by the way. And uh, this pseudo-philosopher. Um, you just got to be you. Listen to your heart. And so just live the way you want to live. Okay. So just live the way you want to live. How would you live? You would just, let's, let's say you're trying to walk and get that, get that water. You can get that water because you're really thirsty, right? Let's just say that. But I'm death, so I have this knife, right? <laughs> I have this knife. Happy birthday. Uh, but just one year closer. That's what, okay. So you have this knife, right? So just, just, just get that water. But there's always this knife in your back. But enjoy the water, Hesu. Just live your life. Thanks, Hesu. Let's give a hand to Hesu. Thank you for helping me. You can say it all you want. You can try to believe it all you want. But death always has a sickle behind your back. There's no way you can defeat death. People have tried. People have tried. People have tried to ignore it. People have tried to face it head on. Being like, oh, if you, if you really recognize your mortality, then we can truly live. 
And people have tried all these things. But the truth of the matter is, there's a sickle in your back, and you're always trying to live. Can you truly live with a knife in your back? If you truly want to live, deal with the knife. First, deal with death. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that no matter how much we try to turn around and wrestle that knife away, wrestle the sickle away, we failed. In fact, we got closer to death every step of the way. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that Christ lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died so that we might have his life credited to us. That means his perfect, eternal life where there was no sickle in his back because there was no sin, that has become credit, credited to us. If we don't realize this, then no matter how good we live, no matter how well we think we're doing, we'll never be ultimately satisfied because we can never ultimately satisfy death. And we can be like, you know what? I am just gonna live the life, it's short, I'll just have to deal with this reality. I'm just going to live it. But it will never satisfy you, even if we become resolved to the fact that we are mortal. How do I know this? Because it's in the Bible, and I know it to be true. I see it in my life true, but a bigger truth is not my existential representation. It's not what I feel and experience but it's what I see in the Bible. It's also true in how I experience it and what I see, but I know it to be true because it's in the Bible. God has set eternity in our hearts. The world says if you truly die well, if you truly want to die well, then live for yourself. And then once we receive the gospel, it shows us the truth. And the gospel says if you truly want to live well, Die to yourself. This was the gospel clearly portrayed to the people of Galatia. In verse 1, Paul talks about this very truth portrayed in front of their very eyes in public view. It was open for all to see and judge. So Paul does not hold back. How can you have gotten so duped? In verses 2 and 3, he asks these questions. Does the Holy Spirit enter into your life by works or by faith? So if it's by faith and you know this to be true and you have this new life in the spirit by faith, how can you say that you are going to now grow by works? If new life entered into your life by faith, not by works, how can you say your life will grow by works now? He says specifically of the flesh. In verse 5, it's even stronger. Do these miracles in your life happen because now you abide by the law? Or is it because you believe? Note it's present tense. It's not because you believed these things that miracles happen. It's because you believe a hearing with faith. So you might think, I don't get it. What's the difference? If you go back to the works of the flesh, or you try to better yourself by following the law, we will simply f just fail and tell ourselves this, just try harder. You just gotta try harder. 
Christians aren't saved by the gospel just to simply add biblical principles in our lives to get better. Christians are saved by the gospel so that we can grow by applying the gospel to every area of our lives. Yesterday, during our morning prayer, the message on our passage was not sinning while we are angry. And if you start applying the gospel to your life, your anger about your, and your prayers, they change. In the beginning, it could have been like this, Lord, I have a problem with anger. I need you to remove it. Help me. Hosanna. Give me your strength. That could be your prayer. But when we start applying the gospel, our prayers even change. Whenever we see anger rising up, the question is, why is anger rising up and tempting me to do harm to others and to sin? My wife and I watched this, uh, this show on Netflix that we kind of enjoyed for the past week. And it's this Korean show. I won't get too much into it. But it's about a bunch of men, and they're very angry. They're angry at everything. So it's about like four or five men that are just angry. I was like, wow, that's, that's really great. They're angry all for different reasons, but they're always angry. And they're letting out their anger. One of the questions these shows or movies or any kind of drama cannot answer is why... Is anger rising up, tempting me to do harm to others and to sin? Why is it that I need this so much that I can't forgive? If Jesus is my Savior, meaning all other functional saviors, my, my way of holding on to things, my ego, my pride, my reputation, my money, all these things that I that I held as idols before, if Jesus is my Savior, then all these other things must bow down to him. The more we try to control our anger then, or control these things, we see that they are actually in control of us. So what we do when the gospel is applied to our lives is we have now the saving work of Christ in our lives, and through Christ. What is being revealed to us is the root of our anger. What is holding on to you? Am I angry because perhaps I trusted in my ego a little more than I say I trust in Jesus? Am I angry because these things which I was holding on to, and I didn't know I was holding on to it so tightly, but once that got disturbed, my core was shaken. I claimed to say thy core was Jesus. But when this thing was shaken, I got angry. Maybe I'm holding on to it a little too hard. Am I trusting in these other functional things more than I trust in Jesus? And then Paul goes on to say this brilliant, brilliant argument. He says, consider Abraham. We are to consider Abraham in light of what the Judaizers were saying. You believe in Jesus is what they were saying. You believe in Jesus? Great. Okay. Now, you don't want to lose your salvation, so start doing these practices. Or in this specific case, don't lose the traditions. Don't lose the Jewish traditions. 
If this is the case, then consider Abraham. Paul quotes from Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was declared. In the Greek, it was credited to him as righteousness. And so when we say people are, you need to do these things, you need to be like this, what it really is, we are resisting the truth. And we resist the truth even when we read, a lot of people would read 15.6 and say, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What does that mean? It must be that his faith is like a form of righteousness. So that's what pleased God. That's not true. You have to read it, and if you really read it, it's because of faith, because of faith, you don't merit God's favor and blessing. Faith is not something that you do as a merit that defeats the whole purpose of faith. So that would be true if the text actually said Abraham's faith was righteousness, but it doesn't say that. It said that it was counted to him as righteousness. <clears throat> when we count someone or when we credit someone uh, let's say I need to pay someone and I ask them to I ask them if they have Venmo or quick pay or something to that effect and then I give them some capital and I paid them I don't know $200 that means that you before I credited that $200 to you you didn't have the $200 before credited means you didn't have that there before but this is more than just about capital. It's about legal status. If you are conferred a legal status that you didn't have before, then once you are conferred that legal status, you are no longer illegal. You are now treated as though you have this legal status. This is when Martin Luther said, simul justice et peccator, which he had famously said in a debate which is simultaneously righteous and sinful. So even though we are perfect, imperfect, and sinful, what the gospel is showing us is that we are treated as though we are righteous. That's why in verse 7 we learn that it is people that have faith that are descendants of Abraham. It's stronger than physical blood or genetics. It's spiritual. That is why we too can be blessed as Abraham was blessed because we are his spiritual descendants. If we are to consider Abraham, to learn from his example, to be like him, then we are to put our faith in God's provision and not our performance. God promised Abraham a child through Sarah and what did that depend on? Mind you, if we go back to the Genesis story, Sarah was barren, she could not bear a child, but God had promised Abraham that through Sarah, he will have children. What did it depend on? Did it depend on Abraham doing anything, meriting anything? It actually wholly depended on God fulfilling the promise, not on Abraham at all. Abraham believed that God would do it, and we read the facts that, and we read in fact that he did believe God. Now, there is a huge difference between believing in, in our language, believing in God and believing God. 
Abraham believed God. He did, of course, believe in God, but didn't stop there. So I want to continue on really briefly by saying, Paul is essentially saying that we can take two roots. And there are two types of people. Two types of people that we ultimately um, get this answer to. What is my fulfillment? What completes me? How can I truly live a full life? And if we rely on the law, meaning that we have confidence in our own abilities and our own accomplishments and ultimately the things that I do, whatever I want to call it, whatever I want to deem it to be true, ultimately that will give me fulfillment and completeness. Just believe in yourself. Stop believing in everything else. Just believe in yourself and everything is possible. Do you know that is the oldest lie in the book? Literally, it's the oldest lie in Genesis. It's the oldest lie in the book. Just believe in yourself. Don't listen to anybody else. Believe in yourself and then anything is possible. That's the oldest lie in the book and is still being perpetuated today. Peddled. Cheap goods. If we do live this way, the Bible clearly says that we are cursed. When we live this way, we will develop a deep and profound insecurity, fear, anxiety, anger. We become hypersensitive to criticism. How dare you say that about me? It's not my fault, it's hers. Become intimidated and envious of anyone that might be better than you. And if you don't believe me, look at Adam and Eve. The curse is removed because Jesus became a curse for us. He didn't just take on the curse. It says he became a curse for us. He became the curse. So while we are living, we didn't say, we didn't realize a lot of times that we didn't just become cursed we became a curse too. The biggest curse to humans are other humans. And then when we see in the Bible when it says Jesus became a curse for us, what does it mean? He takes on what we are so that we, we could become what he is. He became a curse for us so that we could become righteousness in that very same way. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin become sin for us so that in him we might become righteousness, the righteousness of God. This has incredible connotations for us. If Jesus became sin for us, we become righteousness and we become righteous in the same way. We are regarded then by God as he regarded Jesus. This, are you hearing this? This is incredible. If Jesus became sin for us, we become righteous in that same way. We are regarded by God as perfectly righteous and flawless. That is incredible. Phillips Brooks a former minister of the Boston's Trinity Episcopal Church. Uh, he's probably most famously known as the author of O Little Town of Bethlehem, the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And if you read the lyrics, it's powerful, it's moving. He was a very busy pastor, but he always seemed relaxed, unburdened. He was always willing to take people, uh, take time for other people, especially anybody in need. And shortly before Brooks passed away, 
a young friend wrote to him and asked him the secret of his strength and serenity. In a heartfelt response, Brooks credited his still growing relationship with Christ. He wrote, the more I have thought it over, the more sure it has seemed to me that these last years have had a peace and fullness which there did not used to be. It is a deeper knowledge and truer love of Christ. I cannot tell you how personal this grows to me. He is here. He knows me, and I know him. It is the most real thing in the world, and every day makes it more real. And one wonders with delight what it will grow to as the years go on. What is true living? Salvation is forgiveness, but it means also more than forgiveness, the gospel. It means perfection. We don't trust, we don't begin by trusting in human effort. We begin the journey by trusting that Christ became a curse for us so that we are righteous. And you might not think that's a lot or that there's got to be more to it. They just can't stop there. There's got to be more to it. But when you place your trust in the saving power of Christ crucified, our hearts begin to change. It begins to get molded. It begins to see things it never has seen before. And the truth gets more and more exciting. You know, I didn't merit anything. Nothing I could have done could have given me the blessings and the favor I have received today, right now, in this very moment, in this very spot. But the more I see it, the more I see that I have been credited this righteousness that I didn't deserve, that the favor upon me, that the blessings upon me are as if I did deserve it. The truth is exciting. The truth is freeing. I want to go back to that example one more time. When we get pronounced marriage, just like Eugene and Hannah got pronounced as married, when we go back out that line, that line, we get to start living it out. And because of what we know, there is no more knife in our back. There is no more threat of death, of cheating, of stealing, of anything that we have been given because the one who holds it in his hands is the one who is powerful enough to keep it. And that is what we have been given. That is why we can start living. We never, ever, we never, ever get rid of the gospel. The gospel isn't just a one-time thing and then we're done, let's move on, see what else is there. Every time we go back to the gospel, we've been saved by the gospel and now we grow by the gospel. And this is how Paul starts and this is how we start as a church. How do we see all these other ministries? How do we see all these other people in our church? How do we see each other as brothers and sisters? You know, if I truly believe the gospel, then it changes the way I see you and it changes the way you would see me. 
The way we deal with each other always has been by merit. In, in the, the funny thing is, in, when I was growing up, there were people, uh, I grew up in a Korean a kind of, Korean-American environment, well, a lot of Koreans were there. I grew up in an immigrant church. And if you are older than someone, there was a term that you would call them. And you call them this term because they were older than you. And you would add that to their name. So you wouldn't just be Eugene, you could be Eugene Hyung or Eugene Oppa or something to that effect. And that's what they would be called. But there would be some people who would still think, oh, I don't, I'm not going to call anybody that because you haven't merited it. You have to act like an older brother before I give you that title. And that's how the world works too. But the beautiful thing that we can kind of see a glimpse, even in the Korean culture, we see this glimpse that's there, the seed that's there, is that it doesn't matter. If that person's older, that person's just a young. Person's older, that person's just a nuna, something to that effect. But when we actually see the gospel living in us, the way I see you is different. It's not about what you merited. That primarily identifies the way I deal with you. It's not. It's what you have been credited with. And when I see that spiritual bank account, man, you're rich. And I deal with you that way. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. You are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And we are called to live together, grow together in the gospel. Let's pray. Isn't the truth exciting? Isn't it freeing? In light of this incredible gospel that we have been given, how do we need to start changing the way we see ourselves and the way we see each other? Let's take this time to pray and offer up our hearts to the Lord, asking Him to continue to mold us and shape us through the gospel. Ask Him to mold and shape our church, CGS, in light of the gospel as well. Let's pray.